ask, so we both have gloves. Jonah, describe my glove. You know that? Can I describe your glove? It's beautiful. Ooh, it's a Maruchi. I love Maruchis. Jonah, is this glove powerful? Yeah? Why is that powerful? Can it catch a ball by itself? Who's catching the ball with that glove? You are. So the glove is awesome, but as beautiful as the glove is, we never say the glove is powerful. We say what? The player. The awesome player behind the glove is powerful. Jonah, sit down. Let's go. Give him a hand. Nice job. I'm going to go watch him play today. Jonah, I'm coming to your game for real. It's at 1 o'clock. So I wanted to share that because we both have nice gloves. And we could describe it as this leather. It's well-stitched. It's customized. Uh, it's glossy. It's got a name on it. But we never would say the glove is powerful. And it's so interesting. Why, why would we never say the glove is powerful? Because we know the glove in itself has no power. As great as the glove is, it's always the person behind the glove. So if Aaron Judge used like a 1970s beat-up glove, he's still a better baseball player than me using a nice glove. And I wanted us to think like that because as we talk about Gideon, God calls Gideon something that's really a, a weird adjective. He says, mighty warrior. Now, it's kind of weird feeling to he be, hear that. So I want you to feel how weird it is. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are mighty. Cue the nervous laughter. So, you know, when you hear that, you feel, you feel a little nervous, like weird, and like, oh, that's cute, you know, you made me feel good. But we don't think of ourselves as mighty. And so you had this guy, Gideon, he's, he's threshing wheat. Threshing wheat means he's, he's beating it so that it separates a ch chaff from the, the kernels of wheat. And usually you do it out in the open so the wind blows. What we see in Gideon, in J Judges chapter 6, Gideon was inside the wine press because he was hiding from the Midianites. So picture a guy who's strong, big, but he's so scared of the Midianites, he's threshing wheat at nighttime hoping no one catches him. And then just then the angel of God appears to him and says, greetings, mighty warrior. So this, there's a lot of irony in Judges. As we've been going through Judges, Gideon is the first character who we see that is described a lot more, and he's a little unsure of himself. I'm going to just say it. Gideon is whiny, uh, and he is very, uh, a little bit annoying at times. because You see his reaction. You see the way he's kind of sneaking around at night. And I don't, do you know anybody named Gideon in your life? I, it's, it's kind of fascinating. Like, we, we don't know a Gideon Kim Park Smith. Do you know a Gideon Jones? Gideon is a great name, like Gideon's Bible is separate from Gideon, but Gideon doesn't seem to draw out fervor and bravery. And so we see Gideon doing this. So when we look at Judges, I think the whole premise of the Judges is this, ready? The simplicity of Christianity is this, God wants to walk with you. The whole simplicity of the Bible is this, God wants to walk with you, live with you have a relationship with you. That's Christianity. I think we make Christianity today into this. There's a way to heaven, and here's how you get to heaven. 
And there's a problem with that. And let me show you the problem with that. When we say that, that Christianity is about just going to heaven, we think all we have to do is just say the right prayer, believe the right thing, and we get to go to heaven. And then once we do it, we're done. And so here's an analogy I, I used. And this is half true. On my wedding day in September 11th, 2001, uh, we had our wedding day, we had our reception, and then my youth group at that time bought me a PlayStation 2. At the time, that was rocking. That's, that was cutting-edge technology. I was so excited. So now I'm going to, you'll know when it starts becoming fiction. But that night, after everybody left, we cleared out. We went back to my married dorm in Princeton. And then we were waiting for, you know, we had to prepare for the flight in about seven hours to Hawaii for our honeymoon. I was so excited about the PlayStation, I said, honey, can I set it up? And she said, of course. And once you set it up, you have to play it. And so here's Kathy packing for Hawaii, and I'm just like, this is great. I was so excited I got married. I was so excited I got a PlayStation 2. I left Kathy there, and I hung out with my friends so we could play PlayStation 2 for the whole weekend. That part's the fiction part. Give me a little more credit. <laughs> like, I can't believe you believe that. That part is... Why did, but why did you say, oh, wow? Because I got married. Check. And here's why you laughed at that. The wedding is not the objective. The wedding leads to the objective, which is to, to have two become one. And Kathy and I, we walk and live together. So to say, hey, I got married, guys. Let's hang out tonight. High five. And I say, Kathy, I'll see you later. What is that? Th that's no marriage. And so a lot of us, we live for the wedding, but we don't prepare for the marriage. And that's a whole sermon itself. We, we say we spend $50,000 on the wedding and we invest nothing on our marriage. And we wonder why we have such a hard time. It's already hard. Well, Christianity, we think it's, if I just say this prayer, I know where I'm going after I die. See you later, God. I'll come back to you later when I need you. It's the same thing as us having a wedding day, ditching your bride so you could hang out with your buddies because you finally got married. All God wants is for Israel to just walk with him, to trust him, to love him and obey him. And on Judges, over and over and over again, they turn to false idols. So Gideon's time, his dad, Joash, builds an altar and has a pole for Asherah. And in his own household, his father is allowing these false gods to reside. And so God is really grieved, so he lets them suffer under the hands of the Midians for seven years, and they overpower him, and they're like major bullies. They can't even grow crops because they come and eat it. And Gideon is scared, and he's threshing wheat, and a lot of us are like Gideon. So let's look at this story. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty men of valor. Which, which, which should make us say, Gideon goes, Whoa, who are you? He says this. I could almost hear it because I'm, I'm just immature. Please, my Lord. 
Why is the Lord doing this to us? Why has all this happened then? And where are all his wonderful deeds? And I think this, this is first assumption that a lot of us struggle with. God comes to us and says, I want to do something great through you. You are mighty. And commentators don't know if God is seeing the potential of Gideon when his power is in him. Or God is just encouraging Gideon because Gideon is such a chicken. Either way, that's not the main point. God is saying, you are mighty. And Gideon's response is what? Then why are these bad things happening? You have asked that question. I am asking that question right now. I want to share with you right now, uh, Kathy isn't here with us because Kathy is with her mom. We just found out a week ago she has stage 4 cancer. My, my mother-in-law has been here for six years serving in our church, and she's going to probably have maybe at most three months to live. In our whole family, that generation, she is literally the healthiest person in the whole siblings and cousins. And the question we're asking is, God, if you're so good, why is this happening to us? If, if, you, if I am blessed, why is this happening to someone like her? And this is the very tone that Gideon has. He's grieving. And so I want to answer that question really quick before I move on because I don't want to just glance over that. Whenever these things happen, here's the first thing we have to say. A lot of times we don't have an answer. These are the mysteries of God. That he has, he's not doing it, but this is the brokenness of a fallen world where cancer is devastating, and it does this. Sometimes, in this case too, it's, we hear it in verse 1, chapter 6. The people of Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Sometimes we, we have a hard life because we self-inflict. We're sinful people. We harm others. We harm ourselves. And we're in a broken world where people hurt people. And hurt people hurt people. Why, why is Russia invading Ukraine and killing civilians? What, what, is, what is all that? Why did Pol Pot kill and have decimate and genocide in Cambodia? We, we don't have an answer. It's just other than the fact that it's sin. But I'm encouraged by this verse. And if you could turn with me to 2 Corinthians uh, 4, verse 8, 16, 18. This is a good verse to always have. This verse, in light of you know, our household and those of you who are suffering right now and wondering, if we are blessed, why is this evil thing happening to us, God? We remember this. This is not our home. Christianity was never meant for you and me to have a comfortable, peaceful, happy, joyful life in this world. That's what we made it to be. If I believe in God, he should give me everything. But look what Second Corinthians, Paul writes in chapter 4, verse 16 and 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. A lot of hope in there. See, our current pain is light and momentary, and we say, hallelujah. And they're also preparing us for something greater, because if you are living your life right now for only the things that you see, you are missing out on some beautiful things that are unseen that God has in store for you and me, and that is God. Amen?
That's Christianity. Christianity is not God will make me happy and blessed. He will do that. But if you only look at that and you don't see the scope that suffering comes with it, pain comes with it, and yet with my eyes I will see God and he is still good, we could trust God in this. So Gideon has this assumption that you and I falsely have. If I trust in God, no bad things should happen to me. And so there's a saying, why do good things happen, bad things happen to good people? It's an assumption. In fact, the greatest people in history suffered. Jesus Christ was beaten, crucified. The ultimate good. And so Gideon is there responding to this angel of the Lord. You know, why are these things happening to us if God is so good? I remember his good news. I remember how he delivered us from Egypt. But now he's forsaken us and given us the hands of Midian. And look what, what the angel says. I love it. The next thing he says is, that's why I came to you, right? And the angel of the Lord said to him, please, Lord, how can I? Oh, he says, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm sorry, right before that, the angel of the Lord says, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of the Midian. Do not I send you. So Gideon is saying, why are these evil things happening and why are we suffering? And God's response is what? That's why I called you out. Church, we need to wake up. We can't just put on Facebook and go at coffee shops and just vent about the terrible things going around the world. Why are these evil things happening? This is why God gave us the church. This is why God filled the church with the Holy Spirit. This is why you are doing what you're doing. You are the reason God has picked you, plucked you, and sending you out. Now, some of you are going to go this. Uh, I, I find this to be true. Whenever God asks us to do something, we always think about the first thought is why we can't. Let's be honest. Can we, can we have a confession time? If when someone asks you to do a favor, does your mind... First thing goes, reasons why I should not say yes, right? Just raise your hand if that's you. Just, just come on. Confess, confession time. Confession time. Confession time. It's human nature. It's okay. I mean, no, it's not okay, but we do it. We all do it. Hey, could you serve in children's ministry? Boom. I'm too old. I'm too slow. I'm too weird. I'm too, like, right? We think of every reason I have, I can't come to church every Sunday, we think about all the limitations we have, whether it's our desire or not. And that's what Gideon did. Gideon, you have this might. And by the way, that Hebrew word might is the power of God. So it's not his might. The angel says, I see the power of God. Go with that. And Gideon says, how can I go? My clan is the smallest. And I'm the smallest in my father's household. And so we always go back to this limitation we have. I don't think anybody wakes up and says, one day I'm going to share the gospel in China. Hudson Taylor calculated the cost and something compelled him and moved him by faith and he said, I don't know if I have everything, but with your prayer, God is calling me to go there. God, if you go with me, I will go. And Hudson Taylor went to China, went to Inland Missions, and started using the river system and started spreading the gospel. And eventually it came all the way out to Korea through Presbyterian missionaries. Like literally, I may not be here if it wasn't for these missionaries 
who didn't count their limitation as the main reason, but they counted on this. What was this? Verse 16, and the Lord said to him these five words. Six words, but I will be with you. So if God calls you, that's the hard part. God has clarified what he wants you to do. It's not God looked at your inventory and resume and said, boy, that Jason Coe, I see in him character quality. No, if he did that, I would not be here because I would fail the character. I would fail the quality. I would fail the qualification. But why are you and I called to God's service? Elders, deacons, small group leaders. Because I will go with you, says the Lord Almighty. What is our response? If you go, then I will go. It's kind of what Barak said to Deborah last week. Deborah, if you will, I'll go. If you're not going to go, I won't go. But that's how we should talk to God. God, if this is you, you're going to go. So we see his assumptions that good people shouldn't suffer. We see his assumptions that, God, you should only select the smartest, strongest, bravest, skilled people. And God says, no, no, I want you. I want you. You're the one. You're, you're, the, you're the runt. And we see these assumptions that, you know, if I only was smart enough, strong enough, we could do it. Uh, so here's a theme that comes out in Gideon. So Gideon, Gideon, later on he gets called. And the theme that's glaring today that I want to encourage us with is this. God, Gideon is a classic example of how God uses people who can't boast in their own abilities. Right? Gideon is a classic example of God using people so that they can't boast in their abilities. America, you guys are way too comfortable and way too successful. And it's killing our spirituality. You know why? Because we think we really accomplished this. I had a great career. I studied hard. I made this living. I bought that house. Look what I have done. And that, in that comfort, the problem is we really think we did it. And I want to encourage us and say, good job. But here's the problem. We forget God. I love what Tim Keller said sin is. Tim Keller says sin is not lusting and lying. You know what Tim Keller says? It is living your life and completely ignoring God. That is the essence of sin. So it's not evil things you do. It's just ignoring and neglecting God itself is the core of sin. I am successful. Instead of saying, God, you gave me the success. And so for Gideon... He's seeing his own limitations. He's forgetting God, and God is saying, you're not strong because you're strong. You're mighty because I go with you. And so this theme comes up. Um, if you read Gideon, if you go home tonight, don't watch, don't watch uh, any of those Korean dramas. Don't watch Netflix. Read, read Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8. It is, it is beautiful. It's, it's, it's fun. It's like pg no, it's like rated R. It's really exciting. Um, and here's how Gideon, right after this, you know what Gideon does? He takes two bowls, which is a sign of Baal, and he pulls down his dad's Asherah pole and breaks down the altar. That's pretty cool. He does it at night, though, <laughs> because he doesn't want to be seen. He's a little scared. And so God is doing that. Okay, good. And then Gideon gets called to fight the Midianites. How is a chicken like this supposed to fight the Midianites? So Gideon brings like 10,000 people. And God says, oh my goodness. You know what God says to Gideon? You have too many. 
And so you know what God tells Gideon? Take your men down to the river and watch how they drink. And I was just practically visualizing 10,000 people being watched by Gideon, you know, just drinking water. And so do you remember the story? He says, if they stick their head in the water and drink, they're not the ones. Look for the people that lap the water. And guess how many people lap their water like this? By the way, how many, how many of you would stick your head in the water? Just, yeah, I don't, liars. All right, sorry. So some people would, some people cup water. And out of 10,000, 300. How are you going to defeat the Midianite army that's been abusing you for seven years with 300 people? Well, God's like, they're the ones. So Gideon takes the 300, and he's like, okay, let's go fight. And he's like, God, I think we may be outnumbered here. And you know how God defeats the Midianites with these 300? Again, the theme, it's not your power, it's my power. Don't take a sword, don't take a spear, don't take slings. I want you to take jars, a torch, and Gideon's like, keep it coming, and a trumpet. And if I was Gideon, I'd be like, what? Take these 300 men, take a jar, a torch, and a trumpet, and go fight the Midianites. Gideon has a little crisis, and then God says, go sneak into their camp and listen to what they're saying. And he happens to hear, we're scared. I think God is working against us. And Gideon says, oh, we got them. So long story short, God defeats the Midianites. By nighttime, 300 men stuck out, and Gideon said, at my call, break the jars, bring out the torch, and blow your trumpets. And the Midianite army fled. Rest of Israel rallied when they saw that. They chased him down, and they won. How did they win? The might of God, because God was with them. You know, we have to get out of our comfort zones. Yes? We, we have to overcome the fear that we don't have enough. Yes? Amen? We, we have to say yes to God because the work of God is not easy. And when we say the church ministry is hard, sometimes we have to smack myself and be like, wait a minute, whoever said it was easy? When God calls you to be a father, a husband, a teacher, a leader, a lawyer, a doctor, but for his glory, it was never meant to be easy. It was always meant for God to go with you, though, to fulfill that calling. Biola people, college people, young people, if God calls you to missions, God calls you to missions, he's not sending you out to just die. He's going to go with you. His power and might travels with you. And so the theme of Gideon is this. God calls not because of our might, but because of his might. And at the end, I just want to wind this down with this. Gideon, being Gideon, says, please give me a sign. And here's the short, shortened version. What was the first sign? Gideon puts a goat on leavened bread on a rock, and then God brings fire and consumes it. You know what that means? I accept your offering. Second, Gideon says, oh, if it ain't too much, can I have another sign? And then he says, let there be dew, and I'll put fleece out, like, you know, like fleece. And when the ground is wet, but the fleece is dry, I know it's you. So the next morning, Gideon wakes up. Ground is wet. He picks up the cloth, and it's dry. Gideon's like, one more. And his last one is, could you do the opposite, God? And I would be like, Gideon, what's up with you? But God says, okay. The next day he gets up. The ground is dry. 
the fleece is wet. Where are we going with this? Some of you may be looking for a sign. Some of you have been waiting your life to look for a sign. Is God real? Is God calling me? And why don't we have signs like that today? Does God give signs? Today, does God give signs? I, I think he does. He gives encouragement. But here's the one sign that we need. And I think it's attached to the goat and the rock and the fire consuming it. The theologians and Jewish people always understood that as one thing. When God's fire licks up the sacrifice, it means I am pleased and I accept your offering. This is my sign to you, Gideon. You are my chosen one. Now think, in 2022, what is a sign that you and I could have? Something like that that shows us God is always saying, I am with you no matter what. It was an altar. It was a sacrifice. And God said, I accept this offering. And Hebrews tells us, in the past, they shed the blood of goats and bulls, but they were not sufficient. But this one sacrifice was sufficient. Jesus Christ was the sacrifice once and for all that God accepted so that you and I could be accepted. And when Jesus died and rose again, that was a sign of Jonah. That was a sign for the world. I am God. I prevail. I am true. I am calling you, and I will be with you no matter what. That is what keeps us going in the face of death, in the face of hardship. And we have to transition from being the first Gideon. Too many of us are Gideons. Just right now, some of you need to start praying like, God, I'm too much of a Gideon. I'm too scared. I'm, I'm kind of doubtful. I need more signs. To the gospel truth, God has given us signs, you Gideons. And the sign is that Jesus Christ has died and risen again. And there's nothing in the world that will come close to overpowering that truth. And so we gather, we worship. Gideon, what a fantastic story. And the story is meant to say there's a little bit too much of that in us. And for us, in the face of hardship, in the face of challenges, right now Florida has been decimated by Hurricane Ian. Some of you are battling through this, and I believe God is saying, who said to stop? Keep going. Go, mighty warrior. Why are you mighty? Because the power of God goes with his children who are claimed in the blood of Christ. And that is why we celebrate this communion. Let me pray for us. Lord, prepare our hearts now as we partake in this communion. Lord, we don't see these as symbols or representations of you, but we see these reminding us that your presence is with us at this very time as we take these elements together. God, forgive us because we believe that it is our own might that carries us. Forgive us for believing that it is our own might that brought us success or failure because we were not strong enough. Remind us that it is your grace and your strength and your power that not only redeems us and saves us, but goes with us to whatever the calling you have set us forth. 
God, may we take this bread and juice with just appreciation and gratitude and with faith this morning that we have a mighty God who walks with us and in whom we want to walk with for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.